You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Okay, we'll be having choir practice at 4.30 uh, today, so make sure, choir, that you're here back at 4.30. Going to have a wonderful time in the Holy Ghost tonight, and I want God just to have His way. It'd be all right. Amen. I, I know uh, we love the Word, but it'd be all right if the Holy Ghost just takes over. Amen. Every now and again and just have His way. So let's just come tonight with anticipation on that. I have something I want to share with the church this evening. But this morning I'm going to take you to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 12. Let's stand one more time and honor the Word of God this morning. 1 Kings chapter number 12, and we'll read two verses of Scripture here. We'll read verse 26, and we'll read verse 27, and there's a lot going on, but we'll just read these two key passages and then look at, amen, some thoughts here that God has for us. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 26 says, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. and They shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Judah. Let's read verse 28. He says, Wherefore the king took counsel, that's Jeroboam, and made two calves of gold and said unto them, And it's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> you, don't need to, you don't need to put it out that hard. It's too much. And he says, Behold thy gods. That's the golden calves or the two calves that he made. The gods of Israel which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I want to preach to you today, if I can, from this thought, getting back to the house of the Lord. Getting back to the house of the Lord. Let's lay our Bibles down and ask God to have His way. Amen. This morning as He speaks to our heart from His Word. Dear Lord, I thank you today, God, for being such a mighty God, for being a loving Father, for being such an incredible Savior. I thank you today. For your loving compassion is great for everyone that is here, Lord. But you know our needs. You know right now, God, everything that we carry. I pray in the name of Jesus that your liberty would be in this house today, that you could speak freely and minister to every heart and mind in this house this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Can you put your hands together and thank the Lord one more time? God, I thank you for every blessing, every victory. Every praise, God, we magnify you today. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Getting back to the house of the Lord. Getting back to the house of the Lord. What was the house of the Lord? It was first a tabernacle that the Lord commanded Moses to build as they were traveling through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. It was a tabernacle, a tent 
of a meeting, if you will, that verbiage is used, in the wilderness where they would come together. The tabernacle would be the template for what Solomon would ultimately turn into a permanent structure as the temple in Jerusalem. And the significance of the placement for it in Jerusalem was there on Ornan's threshing floor, God gave great revelation to David. And David would say that this is the house of the Lord. This, the point of revelation in his life, he declared, is the house of the Lord. And so Solomon would build the temple. Build it after the template that was established by God to Moses in Mount Sinai. When Moses comes down, he, he erects the structure as the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, you would come. You would not see from the outside. You could not see in. It was covered in badger skins. It was homely, maybe nothing to look at. But once you entered in, you began to sense something incredible taking place. In the outer court, once you stepped inside that outer court, it was uh, standing Boldly in front of you, this brazen altar, this place of sacrifice, this place where they would bring their sacrifices and their offerings to the Lord. Sacrifice was synonymous with the word worship. Today we talk about coming into the house of God or into a place and we talk about worshiping the Lord and if we're not careful, we can forget that sacrifice has always been worship, and worship has always been sacrifice. For Abraham was the first one to use that word, and he did so as he took his son up the mountain, and he was going to sacrifice his only son, everything. He was giving it to the Lord, and his son asked him, Dad, what are we doing? And he said, Son, come on, we're going to worship. You do not worship God just by coming and saying how wonderful He is, but you worship Him when you sacrifice your life because of the revelation of how wonderful He is in your life. And so you would enter into the outer courts, and there was the brazen altar, and there they would sacrifice. And then was a laver of water where the priest would go, and they would wash themselves in preparation to enter into the inner court. When they were clean, they would then step into the inner court. And in the inner court, not everybody could go, not everybody could see, but there was a door. They would enter into that door, and there was a golden candlestick that would give light. There was a table of showbread, and there at that table, they would break bread in fellowship. And then there was the altar of incense. The altar of incense would send up a sweet savor to the Lord, but the sweet savor was fueled by the coals that came from the altar of sacrifice. And that altar of incense was never, it was never to go out. It was never to go out. They were to keep it going continually. They were to keep continually let it go uh, constantly. Whether they were traveling or whether they were stationary, there was this incense 
uh, uh, flame going up. And then there was a veiling, and now you have the innermost part called the Holy of Holies. And in there rested the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimony, as it was first called. And that was the place that signified the abiding presence of the Lord, the abiding presence of God. And, and the Ark of the Covenant, it would contain some things over a matter of years that they would put in there as the Lord commanded them. First, it contained the tables of stone that had on them the Ten Commandments that God in His own hand had etched on Mount Sinai that Moses would bring down. This was not the first ones that he came down with because he smashed them before the people, but he had to go up a second time, 40 more days, and God again writes his law upon the tables of stone. I got good news today. You can have had an experience where God writes his law on your heart and then your heart get broken and destroyed, but God can write it again. He can write it again on your heart and your soul. Not only were the tables of stone in there, but there also in the Ark of the Covenant was a testimony. It was Aaron's rod or Aaron's staff, if you will. He was the, the, the leader of the tribe of Levi. It was from him that the priesthood would come and Aaron had a staff. And uh, there was a time where God questioned them and he made all of the leaders of the tribes cut off a branch and make a staff. And then they laid them into the tabernacle one night and they left them there. And the next day he said, whosoever staff, after it's been cut off and dead, whosoever staff is, is, is sprouting buds and bringing forth life, that signifies that my hand of anointings upon them and Aaron's staff that had been and cut down supernaturally that next morning. The Bible says it had a bud, it had another blossom, and it even had an almond. It showed the process of all stages overnight right there. God did it. I'm going to tell you, God doesn't have to take his time if he don't want to. He can do something from seed to fruit. He can do it overnight. There was the testimony. It laid in the Ark of the Covenant. And not only that, there was a bowl of manna that they kept in there. They kept that in there. The manna was in there. It signified something for them. Here was the innermost part of the plan, the template, the tabernacle, the temple that God had given them. And the Holy of Holies was the place where the presence of God dwelt. From there it emanated. God is omnipresent. He fills all time, matter, and space. And, and He is beyond time, matter, and space. But as He reveals Himself, He is the I am that I am. The Israelites understood that He was the God that stepped into time and space. And He has relative presence. Even though He fills all in all, He comes down and He ministers to us. And that was the abiding presence of of the Lord. Everything revolved around this. 
When they moved throughout the wilderness, the Bible says that they camped on each side of the tabernacle. Some tribes were on the south and the east and the north and the west, but the tabernacle was always in the center. It was always the central focus. It was a template to show us types and and shadows and to be, as Paul said, our schoolmaster, teaching us about the ways of God the Lord. We get then into the promised land and the people of God now, they they build a temple. David desired it, but God said, you have too much blood on your hands. And so your son's going to build it. And so Solomon comes and he builds the temple. And at this time, the Ark of the Covenant has been lost. They had messed it up. And, and, and when the temple, uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is brought back, all that remains in it, no longer is there mention of the manna, no longer is there mention of Aaron's rod that buds. But now there is just the Word of God. There is just the tablets of stone. The Word of God is all that's in there. But it was enough. Because the altar of incense had gone out, but when Solomon stands before God in a prayer of dedication and he gets down on his knees and he lifts his hands, this Ark of the Covenant that no longer has testimony of the miraculous provision of manna, the Ark of the Covenant that no longer has testimony of Aaron's rod that budded in a night, the Ark of the Covenant that only has the word of God. When Solomon prayed a prayer of dedication, the Bible lets us know that the glory of God descended. And in that moment, there was the Shekinah of God that came. And the Jews believed that this was the second lighting of the altar of incense, that it was lit by the power of Almighty God. There was something powerful about this. It did It didn't matter how they had strayed. It didn't matter how long they had been misled or lost their way or backslidden. If they could just get back to the house of God, his fire could fall one more time. His glory could come back. If you lost the miracle of manna, if you lost the miracle of the rod, and all you've got is the word, just get back to the house and God's glory can fall again. It was something that they understood. By the way, can I tell you that the Israelites believe that when the third temple is built, they believe that God himself will again light the altar of incense. And they're believing if they can just get back. Amen. That's why the Jewish people that are holding on to the word of God, those Orthodox that, that, that hold on to the word of God, it's not just a way of life, but there's some of them that they live it and they think it's just a good way of life. But then there's others that still believe. That's why that they're believing that they've got to build the temple again. They, they've got to get back to the place where the spirit of God can come. Now we are not in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. We are 
the New Testament church. We are in the new covenant. We understand that God did not dismiss the old covenant because it wasn't good, but he introduced a better covenant. Amen. Because this covenant has more power. In the new covenant, we don't have to get back to Jerusalem. We thank God for Jerusalem. We thank God for everything that he taught us. But something changed in the new covenant. In the new covenant, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, the Bible says that the veil that separated the Ark of the Covenant from all the common people was rent in twain. It was ripped in half. There was no way humanly possible that it could have happened except God Him himself did it. And when Christ gave up the ghost on that cross, the veil rent in twain. And the author of Hebrews told us that we can now go boldly before the throne room of grace. Amen. I'm not dependent. You're not dependent upon a high priest once a year to go and offer an atonement offering that was a foreshadow of things to come. The lamb has been slain. Jesus Christ came down. The debt has been paid. Jesus paid it all on Calvary's cross. And when he rose again, He said, I'm sending my spirit, and my spirit can be in each and every one of you. Now, no longer do we have to make a pilgrimage back to a place hoping to stand around an outer court, depending on the presence of God emanating from an inner court. But now, wherever I'm at, I can enter into the holy of holies, and the same God and the same spirit that dwelt under the Ark of the Covenant can come down and dwell inside of our hearts and inside of our soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Something happened on the day of Pentecost. And that was this, that God transferred a man, his presence dwelling just from the holy place, amen, into the hearts and the lives of people. Paul would say this in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He said, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? you, amen, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. What Paul was saying was, hey, the New Testament believers, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, we don't have to find our way to the temple. Amen. But it's right here inside of us. The Spirit of Almighty God is right here dwelling in us. He says, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So today, we don't have to get up and say, hey, I've got to make it to Jerusalem. Now, if you get a chance to make it to Jerusalem, you need to go. But we're not dependent on that because we can feel the same power that Moses encountered. Think about that on Mount Sinai. You can feel in your own prayer room today, right now. For everyone. We are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. But when we come in, this temple is not, we're not just, amen. The template doesn't change. Hear me. 
The temple changed. It transferred from Jerusalem to you and to me and to our hearts. But the template doesn't change. That's where the Old Testament is our schoolmaster because to get to that holy of holies, you still have to cross past an altar of sacrifice. You want the Spirit of God in your life. You can't just skip all the other steps. You've still got to go past the altar of sacrifice. You've still got to go through that cleansing at the laver. you still got to partake in the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the breaking of the body. There's still got to be the illuminating power of the presence of God inside of your life. There's got to be a sweet savor that's emanating up before God and then the Holy Spirit. Spirit is inside of your life. So we don't break the template. We don't throw it away. Amen. He can do a quick work, but now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But let's go back, if you will, to 1 Kings because it teaches us something. Here, after Solomon's reign, his son becomes the king, and the kings were not always wise. They were not always righteous. And even when they were, they made mistakes. And his son is is named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is now king over all of Israel, the land of Israel. But Rehoboam does some unwise things. He listens to his peers rather than his elders. And, and, And he mocks and scoffs at all the wisdom of his father. If anyone should have had wisdom, it should have been the son of the man of whom Jesus Christ says there'll never be another like him. But Rehoboam did not pay attention. He did not listen. He decided, I'm going to pay attention to my peers. I'm going to do what I want. And Rehoboam, sadly, he offends many people in the kingdom of God. He makes, he makes uh, uh, not friends, but he makes enemies. He offends people. There's bitterness that enters into their heart. And now what we see in 1 Kings, we see a divided kingdom. There was a man by the name of Jeroboam who has been exiled. And Jeroboam comes back from Egypt. He he is an Israelite. He comes back from Egypt. And when he comes back, he hears what's going on. And he goes to Rehoboam and says, hey, listen, I'm the spokesman for all those people that you've offended. And... uh, we got to make something right here. Rehoboam foolishly doesn't, doesn't listen. And so there's an offense. And now one of the greatest tragedies in the Old Testament, it is the largest moment of backsliding, if you will. We read about it here. It is what we could say for all practical purpose. It's the biggest church split in Bible history. They can't get along. They're offended. Things were done that should not have been done. And now somebody's hurt. Hear me. Somebody's hurt. And what do they do? They leave. Rightfully so. They're saying, I I don't have to take this. I should not have to take this. This is not right. They were right. This is not right. And so they left. But then Jeroboam, who is the spokesman for ten tribes, about ten tribes of the children of Israel, And now you've got two and a half tribes left. And they have all divided. But in the two and a half tribes, there's the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, who's leading them. 
And the two and a half tribes, they also encompass the area of Jerusalem where the temple is. And so the rest of them leave. They say, look, you, don't, you want to be mean to us? We're not going to have anything to do with you. But when they leave, there's a problem because they are still the children of God. They are still God's people. They have just as much promise as the other people back there. They have just as much of the word of God inside of them as those people. They walk through the Red Sea and they cross the Jordan same as everybody else. Their testimony is just as strong. But the problem is, is that Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, is over there. And so Jeroboam, here's what he says. Let's go back to the text. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, hear me. Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if, everybody say if, if these people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord. Just leave that verse up there for a moment. Here's what Jeroboam understood. The church split. The people of God split. The kingdom divides. And Jeroboam understands some point, very soon, these people are going to be wanting to go back to Jerusalem to worship. And the reason why they would go back is because God had established spiritual disciplines in their life. God told them there's, there's going to be several feasts and every year you got to make it back to Jerusalem. And during those feasts, you've got to worship the Lord. You've got to honor God. You've got to sacrifice. And Jeroboam knew if the children of God get back to the house of sacrifice... He said, there's going to be a coming together. Hear me. If the people of God get back to worshiping, if the people of God just maintain the spiritual disciplines that God put in their life, this thing isn't going to stay divided. And Jeroboam became the enemy of God. And he became the enemy of God's people because Jeroboam was more interested in being in power than he was in living in promise. He was more interested in being the one that got to dictate to everybody in control than being the one to submit to God. And he understood that if these people get back to the house of God, everything's going to come back together. Hear me, the biggest church split, the largest point of backsliding in the children of God's history. Their leader said, if those people just go back and sacrifice, if they just go back and worship, one moment back in the outer courts, just feeling the fringe of the presence of God is going to be enough for them to say, it's not worth losing out. There's no offense. There's no bitterness. There's no hurt that can keep me from the presence of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hear me today. 
I came to preach to somebody today that the enemy will do everything he can to keep you out of the house of God. The enemy of your soul will do everything he can to keep you from going back to sacrifice and going back to worship and going back to prayer. But I'm here to tell somebody, all you've got to do is get back to the house of the Lord. Just get back to the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You say, well, well, I've been hurt, and I've been done wrong, and, I, and I, 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 that should not have happened. And you may be all right and justified, but you know what I can tell you in my experience? If you'll just get back to the house of the Lord, and you just start worshiping, and all of a sudden you begin to feel the presence of God, and you start focusing upon how great He is, you'll forget about how messed up we are, and you'll start honoring Him because his great is great. His love is great. His grace is powerful in our life. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah to the Lord. Hallelujah. The destroyer of your soul will do everything he can to keep you from the house of the Lord because he knows if you will ever go back, if you could just... If you just get back to the presence of the Lord, one moment, one moment. You say, well, I lost my miracle and I lost everything else. I'm going to tell you, you can, you, can, you, you can lose the law of God in your heart, but if you get back to the house of the Lord, God can rewrite his law in your heart. No offense, no hurt, no bitterness is so great that it can keep your heart from turning back to God and from wanting to be joined back into the body of Christ. That's why we got to be careful in this day and age when we downplay spiritual disciplines in our life. I understand that you've got to do more than just show up to church and sometimes we can get into the routine of just showing up to church and we can almost approach it like a checklist and say, well, I went to church, check, mark that off. No, you I'm not talking about just physical presence. I'm talking about getting back to the house of the Lord. We call this the house of the Lord. We call this the sanctuary because what it means to us as a community. But the house of God is not in our building. The house of God is here. The house of God is here. It is a place of sacrifice. It is a place of worship. It is a place of surrender. It is a place of fellowship. It is a place of cleansing. It is a place, amen, where we give authority to the Word of God and authority to the presence of God. That happens for this community to be this building that we have built and dedicated for such a purpose. But if this blows down tonight or burns down tomorrow, the house of God still remains because it's in our house. It's in our heart. And wherever we destine, whatever room we designate, wherever we go next, amen, is going to be the house of the Lord. What I'm talking about is not just getting back to 6920 Old Collinsville Road, but I'm saying get back to that place of sacrifice and that place of worship and that place of authority where you give authority to God's Word and authority to God's presence. When you get back there, oh, hallelujah.
hallelujah. There's something, amen, that will keep you. There's staying power in the presence of the Lord. There's healing in the presence of the Lord. There's strength in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in here today. And I'm coming to a close. They can come. They can come to the music. You know that song that we sing that says, Lord, make me a house of prayer. You know what you're singing? You're saying, God, don't let this temple be a temple that's, that's empty inside. Make me a house of prayer. I want to add to that. Make me a house of sacrifice. Make me a house of worship. Make me a house of consistency. Make me a house of faithfulness. Make me a house of faith, God. Make me a house where there's liberty in your presence inside of my heart. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, we, we, we need consistency of faithfulness in our life. Don't dismiss that in your life. This is a testimony to the leveraging of spiritual disciplines in your life. Get this. What I, what I find amazing is that the enemies of the people of God will always confess truth. Hear me. If you pay attention, the enemy of your soul will always confess truth. The Bible says, and James, you believe in one God, you do well. The devils believe and they tremble. The enemy, now he'll lie to you. He's a father of lies, but if you'll pay attention, the reason for his lies is because he knows the truth. So Jeroboam lied to the people. And, and, and the sad reality is because, not because of their lack of intelligence, but because of their pride, they willingly accepted the lie that Jeroboam brought. Jeroboam says, if these people can make it back to the house of the Lord, my show's over. So I have to do everything I can to keep them out of the house of the Lord. I tell you, you be careful what it is that's keeping you from the things of God. Is this all right? Be careful what you allow to keep you from church, from the Word of God, from worship, from sacrifice. Be careful what is coming up in your mind and in your heart and challenging your priority list for the things of God in your life. Because that's not of God. But this is a testimony when you leverage the things of God, there's power. Jeroboam says all they got to do is go back one time. And my show's over. Whew. The devil knows all he's got to do is get him back one time. Not just on the property, but actually to enter into the house. You know, some people walk on the property, but they've got a barrier. They're here, but they're not here. You know what I'm saying? Now, some of us have gone to church like that. We've gone to church, but we've got a barrier. I'm mad at them. I'm not going to smile. I'm not going to be nice. Come on. We can laugh a little on Sunday morning. I'm just, I'm mad at God. This is what happened. God, I don't like what you did. I'm here, but I'm here to let you know I'm not happy about this. That's not getting back to the house of God. The devil knows if you can just get back one time. Yes. Yes. Whew, 
You know how many backsliders are in our community right now? You know why I have faith? Because all it takes is one time. I'm going to tell you, we're, we're living in an interesting day and age. I believe in my lifetime, in my ministry, there's some things that we could see that, that the church has not seen in modern history. Things could happen overnight. One catastrophe in the world. Now, I know we've had some catastrophes. I'm talking about some major things. And all of a sudden, there could be some people that wake up and make their way to the house of God. We can't, folks, this little place won't be able to hold the revival that God could do in one moment, in one night. One time. So the devil is going to do everything he can to keep you from getting back to the house of God. He'll drug you. He'll drug you to sleep. He'll entertain you to death. He'll do whatever he can. But you better leverage spiritual disciplines in your life. That's why it's good when you say, this is the day which the Lord hath made. I will rejoice. I'm not going to let, I don't, I don't care what happened yesterday. Today is a new day. And this is the day of the Lord. I'm leveraging, you make that every day. I'm going to praise you from the rising of the sun to the going down of the sun. You go back and read the Psalms. You know what they're doing? They're leveraging spiritual disciplines in their life. They are dictating. They are, they are predicating their life. You know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow? I'm going to be worshiping God. I'm going to be loving God. You know where I'm going to be next Sabbath? I'm going to be in the house of the Lord. You know where I'm going to be next time the law is read? I'm going to be right there standing ready to say amen. And when you put it inside, of your heart and you say every day come on I'm going to tell you there's a security and there's a safety and there's no offense and there's no setback and there's no disease there's nothing that can rob your faith steal your joy take the peace of God that he has anointed you in your life and you can sing songs like I'm blessed in the city and when that runs out and I got to make a move I'm blessed in the field and when life happens unexpectedly and I got to go, I'm blessed when I go and I'm blessed when I come. Hallelujah. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And I'm staying in the house of the Lord. I've got to get back to the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, somebody. Can you stand to your feet all across this room?